Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where you're smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host, Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. Hello everybody, it's the, it's the time of week you've all been waiting for, Oz Property Investors live on a Wednesday. Uh, throw your comments and for those watching the replay, we love comments, we love interaction, we love it and, and so this is, we bring the, bring the big names and we are the funniest property group on Facebook in Australia and worldwide. So that's, what, that's our claim of fame. How you going Joe? And how you going for I don't know, I feel like I need to make a joke now after that but uh, <laughs> I'm pretty good mate. <laughs> I know, I just, I've sold us. Well, as Chris, I mean, as I feel like we dress, we dress to the occasion. So as Chris is uh, in country Victoria, I've worn my uh, my country shirt. So love it, mate. <laughs> you you definitely fit in. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah let me get my um, let me get my vest and um, my dad's four wheel drive. You know the 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 what are those things called? The Range Rovers, and we'll be good to go. Uh, yeah, but how how nice. are you, how are you uh, how's your day been, Chris? Day's been really really good. Day's been uh, spent working on on wealthy on stuff and um, helping some of our clients um, sort some stuff out. So just been uh, packed out day with that, which has been great. Mate, Fantastic. That's, yeah. that's, that's the, the day in the life. Day in the life. Yeah, <laughs> haven't uh, didn't get out to get, uh, didn't get out to the vineyard today, but uh, we have um, yeah heat to do out there and. Uh, we've got to pull in our, our own country shirts, mate, and, and get stuck in outside a little bit. <laughs> Roll up the sleeves. What about you, Jeff? How are you, mate? How was your day? Okay, good. We've lost Jeff already. Fantastic. <laughs> Have we? Surely not. I think, okay. Well, there you go. I can still see him moving. He's still there. I can see him moving, but he's, he can't hear us. Uh, <laughs> maybe he just doesn't want to speak to us. He's like, oh, sorry, guys, i got to go. <laughs> well, I was really hoping he'd jump on and, and do a bit of uh, do a bit of singing right at the beginning, but uh, I thought he might be pulling up some lyrics or something like that. Yeah, no, no, so I, I, I did I did the whole singing at the uh, in, in the live intro video. I was snowed out. No, I, I, it's my secret what I do in those little sessions. But so if, if you're asking how my day was, I, I'm, uh, I'm I'm absolutely on cloud nine because we uh, we sold the third of three properties down in Adelaide, Port Adelaide. Sold yes. out uh, unconditional, I believe, yesterday. I should know when we went unconditional. But uh, but the other, so settlement for that is 2nd of July. So we're keen, I'm keen on the next deal. So crunching numbers, making making money, making deals, uh, making it happen. So that's that's what the property game um, hopefully is about. Um, but, yeah, that's that's what, uh, that's how my day was. So what's... Um, Sensational, mate. That's exciting because um, that must, that offer must have been... <laughs> Uncondition an unconditional offer that they put forward. No, no. So it was a. Oh. It wasn't unconditional. It was a. So subject to finance. Um. And let me. I'm just trying to see. There's a bit of feedback. I don't know if that's me. It's just, no, it's it's not fine, man. I don't. I don't think so. I got the headphones into that. That specific okay. reason. Okay. Cool. Okay. Sorry. Um. But yeah. So yeah. That's that's uh, what I was up to. And um. So I'm stoked and just super excited for this chat because. I know you're going to you're going to bring the value, and I know you're um and, and you're just uh, a fantastic kind of guest. So let's kind of get into the life hacks. Um, Chris, have you got one prepared for us? 
I do have one prepared for you, and it's actually a COVID-19 life hack, and it's one that's um, it's a small one, but uh, I have found that I uh, work from home. I am a bit of a homebody here, so, um, you know, I sit at my desk all day, every day, and I find that if I don't get up, my legs start to get all rubbish and that sort of thing. So I've been trying to really enact that uh, get up, stand up from your desk once every hour or so and, and get moving, get the blood pumping and that sort of thing. So um, my life hack is to put my phone usually in, in the other room and, um, and make sure that you always take your calls standing up. So always take my calls standing up, always go for a walk around the porch, chuck the jacket on and uh, take my calls standing up. So that's, uh, that's my little COVID, COVID uh, life hack that, uh, that's seen me, uh, you know, not be a complete nut of couch potato on, on this chair. And we're, yeah. we're COVID that's free here in that's so good. It's um because it's such a difference when like if you've noticed, not that you record calls, but um I, I work in a sales environment and you can rec- you re- all the calls are recorded and you listen to a call of your own sitting down or listening to it standing up and you sound completely different. Obviously, yeah. your voice doesn't change too much, but your tonality does and it opens you up and you sound a lot better. Hundred um, percent. It's like starting a, a call with a smile on your face. The yeah. the the. The level that it comes through is um, is massive. Yeah, I need to get. We need to do this. These lives standing up. <laughs> get the full. <laughs> get the full works. <laughs> uh, we'll have to buy a stand up desk. We'll have to get a stand up yeah. desk because, yeah. So what's what's your life hack, Joe? Okay. Well, mine's. I don't know if mine's COVID related or maybe. Uh, yeah. Let's see how it goes. But it has got something to do with airplanes, which I feel like is pretty anti-COVID. <laughs> um. So I. I um. Had my yeah. mate, um, he flew from Queensland to Sydney and he obviously had one kilo more of luggage that he that he uh, he couldn't take on the plane. Um, so he was with his partner. He's like, man, this is rubbish because he weighs it at the end. He's like, no, but I need all this stuff. So what am I going to do? And his partner was like, well, you're going to have to pay $50 at the, at the thing um, because that's what Jetstar love to do. Now, I'm not saying that this is, you know, ethical or something you should do. Um, but what he did was he unloaded five kilos of stuff into her bag and she sat down. He went up, got his little, you know, red tag. Then she put five kilos in his bag and then she went up, got a little red tag and then they both walked on with their little red tags, (laughs) saving themselves $50. (laughs) Absolutely love it. It is, because I don't know what's worse, doing that or somebody charging you $50 for a kilo. So I don't know. I'm kind of <laughs> the uh, the the weight thing. Like it sort of it sort of makes sense, but this always gets me because it's like I'm 90 kilos, right? I'm not I'm not a little guy, and my wife is much much less than I am, and and you know we're allowed to walk on with the same amount of weight, and if she's got an extra kilo, right? They don't blink an eye at me walking past. You know they're not weighing me no. versus her and charging me by the kilo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I fully support that life hack, mate. Fully support it. Yes. I'm going to give it a shot when I'm next on a plane. So um, I'll see. I'll give it a shot in three years. I'll let you know the outcome, guys. (laughs) Um, What about you, Jeff? What is your life hack, mate? How are you saving saving these property investors from miserable lives, sorting out this life hack to save the day? So so my life hack is Google Docs, plain and simple. That, that's it. Just, just Google Docs because I, I was thinking about this today and I was going to say working from home is a life hack, but I, I don't know. Is that really a life hack? It just means that 
I'm, I'm, I, I don't, I, I should arguably get more work done. So Google Docs definitely for me. Um, I, 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 rather than have to think and remember things, I just put it in Google Docs straight away and it's there every time I need it. So I won't say it again what, what the life hack is. So yeah, that's okay. mine for this. Google, Google, Google Docs. Okay, cool. Well, before we get into, I know we've, we've been on the, the live for the last eight minutes rambling. So let's jump into this um, um, session. Just going to run our sponsored post from the one and only Scott Agate, and then we'll jump straight into um, uh, chat to Chris. So let's do it. Scott Agate. You would have seen him on the 7pm project campaigning against agent underquoting. Scott is an expert negotiator through and through. Every single day, he is negotiating with real estate agents to get the best price for his clients. To give you a bit of a background, Scott has been working in real estate since 1995 and as a real estate agent, built up three Bell franchises. He was the guy teaching the agent all the tips and tricks to get the most out of the buyers. However, Scott realised that there was actually no one on the side of the person buying the property and he saw them constantly letting emotion get in the way and paying way over for the property. And that's why he created Hello House, Australia's first property negotiation as a service business where he is on the side of the buyer. In hot markets like we have now, you need absolutely every single edge that you can get. These agents are trained professionals and they are there to get the most money out of you, which is why you need to have an expert of your own in your own corner. The way it works, you find the property, then Scott will come in at the negotiation phase and take over for you. This is how you'll get property for its true value. He'll ensure that you don't overpay. He comes in, knocks the real estate agent down on price, no more agent games, no more tricks, no more tactics, he is there for you. Scott has been kind enough to offer us an amazing discount on his service, and I've personally just seen a friend pay $20,000 more on a property because of these agent games. Reach out to him with the link below. It'll be the best property investment you will ever make. There you go. Look at me, big head. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, that's 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 what I love um, about service business, right? <clears throat> and it's very similar to what you do, Chris, is that the money that you put in, you get more money out of it. The service that you provide actually gives people more money back. So it's crazy not to put those type of investments in. But um, I'm not going to jump the gun. I don't want to steal any thunder here because I know Jeff has a sensation intro to you. So um, Jeff, give us a bit of a rundown. Who is Chris? I'm going to. I would say Christopher in your last name, but I don't know how to say that last bit. Give me a Jeff. May Weisen? May Weisen? Almost, mate. It's uh, it's Mewison. Mewison. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, I always have a conversation with it. It's German, is it? Or is it Dutch? Uh, Dutch. It's a uh, Dutch uh, name. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So that's that's something we didn't know. There's there's something. So, but uh, Chris, you're sitting in front of us. You, you've been a self-employed financial advisor in business entrepreneur since 2012. Mate, I feel like you've been doing it since, uh, I don't know, That's that's a long time. So since 20, so make you, you're you the youngest advisor of your licensee group and the youngest and one of the youngest in the country. So, and you come also come from a family full of advisors as well. So you've got, it runs through, flows through your veins. The thing I love about you though is you're not, when we had a pre-chat is you're not anti-property, which a lot of, you speak to a lot of financial advisors and they're sort of, they don't, and there's reasons for that. We won't get, we could go on the whole podcast about that. Um, but uh, you also move to the wet Sundays to kind of get away from it all and, and, 
I mean, I, I don't blame you. With Sunday, it would be beautiful to live there. And then you sort of – now you've moved back to regional Victoria. You, you've, you've sort of bought the farm and that's – that's probably your biggest uh, one of your biggest sort of property investments. So that's I, I mean I'd be keen to talk about that, but um, that's probably um, yeah a long conversation. But uh, you also speak to thousands of people about the, about their money and about their overall wealth journey. But you also have um, personally helped over hundreds of clients uh, through the good times, bad times to achieve great success. So is there anything you feel I've missed or anything? You also have a cool dog. I saw he's. Uh, I do, I do. I'm a, a thousand-year-old Labrador, and um, I am lucky enough to be part of a sensational husband-wife team. Uh, we're not the uh, we're not the traditional husband-wife team. My wife is an absolute gun who just absolutely runs um, most of what it is that we do here at Wealthy, and we've been working together for the last five years. So um, the only other thing that I would add to that is probably wouldn't be able to do it quite as well as I do without um, without the team. You know, Marley keeps the keeps the lols up here at um, at the office, and uh, my wife makes sure that I'm ship shaping and making sure I'm doing all the right things. So I've got a, a magic team behind me that, um, that that helps us actually get the results that we do for our clients. Teamwork make I the dream it. work. Yeah, I love that's it. it. I love it. Yeah. And he's humble as well. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for, for those that don't know um, what a financial planner does, can you give us a bit of a rundown? What, what uh, is yeah. a financial planner? Well, it depends, it depends on the financial planner because a lot of financial advisors, like you, like you mentioned, Jeff, uh, are what we call rollover risk style advisors. And, and that's being moved away from by, uh, by most people in the industry that are sticking around in the industry over the, over the next number of years. Uh, but financial advisors can really help you across a lot of different areas, whether it's, it's cash flow, understanding what's coming in, what's going out, uh, the tax side of things and planning that, uh, having a look at debt structures right through to finding investments, helping people actually understand what those investments are, what they can afford to get into, all those sorts of things. Um, you know, having a look at the super, making sure the product's right, and then making sure that uh, the wheels don't fall off and, and protecting all those things that, uh, that people are putting in place. So. Um, we have we have a lot of different hats, and I like to think of us as uh, really the uh, you know we wear part of the hat of a, of a mortgage broker where we give debt advice, but we don't give actual product debt advice. We do tax planning, but we don't watch tax returns. We give estate planning, but we don't actually uh, write any wills and that sort of stuff. So we we fit across a lot of different wedges and a lot of different areas, uh, and we often bridge a lot of gaps between a lot of other professionals. So. Um, yeah, that's that's a bit of a nutshell of, of the sort of stuff that we actually do as, as advisors. Yeah, because I kind of see it being like a um, like I see this a lot in the medical space. Maybe I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but like you have a podiatrist, you have a foot dogger, you have a hand doctor, and but no one that kind of links it all together. And I feel like that's what you guys are doing in, in the financial planning space of making sure that that if you've got this wheel turning, you've also got this one connected and that everything is interwoven and it's all connecting to have rather than just you should invest in property solely. It is well, how does that all fit in with your actual financial situation? It's a more of a holistic approach. Complete, that's exactly right. So, um, you know, when we're talking about investments, it's it's all different types of investments. So. You know, how do they actually fit? Can you afford them? What's the right amount that you should be looking at? All that sort of stuff. Should you be going into debt for these things? If so, how much, when, that sort of thing. Okay. And then even from the ownership structures to try and reduce tax later on and, uh, and make sure that you try and, and um, you know, reduce some of the, some of the risk that involved as well. So we, we help through a lot of different areas. 
and um, you know different advisors do some things extremely well. Uh, some like myself are a little bit more holistic for for certain types of clients. Um, but yeah, we we all have our, our our little little place in in the industry, and yeah, some some of us do it amazingly well, and and some of us um, you know focus on only a couple of different things. So so take us um t- take us kind of uh, if somebody comes in and says, hey Chris, I want to buy a property. How does that conversation usually go? That's that's kind of um, like do you, yeah. Tell us about the process if somebody wants to or is going to buy a property. Yeah. Um, so the process that we have is that we obviously get to understand. You know, when someone comes in and says, you know, I want to buy a property or I want to start investing, I want to do X, Y, or Z. Uh, the first thing that we need to do is start understand what the actual uh, things are that, that that are achievable to them. So you know, they might come in and say, I want to buy a property. And you go, all right, well. You know what sort of property you wanting to buy, and they might say, "Well, I want to buy an investment," or it might be uh, their their first time. You know, it might, and so you have to have a little look at the function of that. You have to have a look at what the cash flow is. So you start, you just really start asking questions about where they're at, what they're doing, and getting a really good feel of of um, what the actual position that they're in um, is, and and how it is that they might might be able to achieve those things. And then if they're in a position where they can actually do that and afford to, to make those decisions, you can sort of give them some of the modelling advice, you can understand a little bit about what, you know, what the actual outcome of, of making certain decisions are. Uh, and if they're not in a position where you know, they're, they're ready to buy a property or it would overextend themselves at that point and they'd be you know, risking, it all on the, you know, risking it all on that one purchase, um, you can sort of put some steps into place and say, look, maybe not now, maybe in six months, 12 months, 18 months, these are the things that you really need to hit. These are the actual areas that you need to uh, need to understand and get right, and then you, know, you can start to look at that purchase and, and make a um, make a property purchase after that. So we really want to understand the um, the foundations of of uh, what's going on with those people and making sure that they're going to make the right decision when uh, when purchasing their next the next um, asset. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, um, so in terms of um. Like being so, so for for instance, I haven't got too much of an understanding of um, the financial planning space, and I know that this is an area Jeff knows a whole whole heap about um, because he's in the position that he's in. So I'm going to play the novice dum dum, and Jeff is going to say ask all the smart questions. I'm going to ask well, actually, all the dumb dumb I just. I just found out that Jeff's in advice remediation, which means that you know he's going to take the task if I say something wrong. You know, he'll make sure, he'll make sure I'm on the straight and narrow, won't you, mate? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked I've worked across uh, sort of the sales and the uh, compliance, and the, I've worked in all, all sorts of roles. So I, I wear many hats as as you do as well. So I kind of. Uh, yeah. But, so we yeah. will definitely uh, cloak this in a banner of uh, this is not financial not. advice. and I don't know how to say it, Jeff. You tell us how we say it. Gen- advice general nature, not taking account of your personal needs and objectives, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> That's blah, blah, blah. it. That's okay. Really, the whole conversation, so I have to say it again. Every, everything that we talk about is general. We haven't taken into account your personal circumstances. If you have any questions, you should seek a licensed professional before you make any decisions, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Do you know, do you know any licensed professionals, Chris? I know I know one or two. One or two. One or two ones. Yeah. One or two. I love it. I love it. Um. So for people that that are like me and don't um don't necessarily know, what are some of the um baby steps that people can take before they need to kind of before they can engage a um 
a financial planner. Like some of the baby steps, I think, for instance, would be make sure that you lower your consumer debt to a manageable set of uh, a manageable point, like your credit cards and you're overpaying and that kind of stuff. What are, what are the other baby steps people can take? Before they come and see it, say, see someone like myself, I would say that um, you know, rather than waiting to pull the trigger, go and have a chat to have a chat to people. Um, you know, accountants, financial advisors, lawyers often give the first hour of their time or the first session for free. There's there's no reason why you can't go in and have a chat to to someone that you trust, someone that you that you like. Um, I know I do uh, free initial consultations. So uh, you know, if you if you're wondering whether or not you should be speaking to these people, give them a call and ask them if now's the right time to be speaking to them. Uh, in terms of whether or not you can afford it and those sorts of things, that comes down to different advisors who do different things and the way that they charge. But um, yeah, absolutely. If you if you're wondering the sort of things to get the most out of your your financial planning meeting and that initial sort of a sort of a stage, you want to know where you're at and what's actually going on. There's no point going into um, into a meeting with an advisor and going, well, I've no idea where any of my money is. I've no idea what's going on uh, or how much anything is is costing me. Um, and the other thing that you really need to know is. Where do you actually want to get to? So you need to know where you're at and where the actual end point is that you'd like to get to. Uh, our job as advisors is to help you build a, a bit of a roadmap and you know have that those checkpoints along the way to make sure that you uh, you're going to be able to make it and, and, and stay on track. Yeah, yeah. And do you ever how do how do people get to that end goal? Because I think like. There are stock standard ones where it's like, oh, I want to retire with $150,000 in, in, in passive income. But then mm. I imagine you unpack it and it's like, well, actually, you only need $90,000. So why go so crazy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, 100%. And I think you, you, you've touched on something that, um, that financial advisors haven't traditionally done extremely well, uh, which is you know, understanding what the actual client needs at the end of the day. Uh, so many advisors for so long, it's all been it's been all about percentages and dollars in, dollars out, and that sort of stuff. And you know, that's just the action of what it is that we do. The the real value that we add is understanding what the goals are. And when someone says I want hundred grand of, of passive income a year, it's usually not that they want hundred grand of passive income coming in. It's usually that they want to spend more time with their family. They want to be able to go on holidays where they want to go on to. They want to be able to feel like they're not tied down to any one particular place and all that sort of stuff. And so when you actually start to scratch the surface and you start to have a look at those things, that's when you can start to build that plan into place because that's when you can start to put in some of those success measures and go, you look, you know, we're, we're this close to getting you here, uh, we're this close to success and you can start making those things measurable and that's when the actual dollars, cents and percentages start to, start to actually mean something and start to mm. actually add value to people's lives. So um, I think that's uh, that's an extraordinarily important thing to do is, is understand, you know, even if it's a case that they don't need enough hundred thousand, they might only need ninety thousand. But understand why it is that they need that ninety thousand when they need it, um, you know, and and tying that to a real uh, achievable goal. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, this is what Jeff and I talk a little bit about is like finding your why. What you can have the ultimate goal, your what, but if you don't know why you want that you're never going to get there anyway because you just don't have a reason to actually put the effort in and, and you know, 
I don't know, go out there and buy a property because it's like, nah, well, I don't know why I need to go to the effort. It's not easy. Like investing in property is not the easiest thing in the world to do. And it sucks no. at times when you're, when your tenant walks out or you need to refinance and you need to sign a thousand bits of paper and it's, it's, it gets in the way. So first you, if you're First of all, that's very true. That's very true. <laughs> I, I, I would I would say it's it's easy to buy a property or it's easy to go and buy a share or whatever it is or go and buy a bond. It's it's what it's what it's hard or what it's not as simple to do is actually know when you're going to get yourself into into trouble. Um, because mm -hmm. I, yeah, buy, I mean, if it's it's easy to to sort of go and say yeah, I'm going to go and buy a property. I'm, I'm I live in. Kind of, uh, I live in a, a, a rural town or something. Not to, I don't want to say, I don't want to say names of towns because, and I'll just go and buy a property. I'll go to a local real estate agent and pick something up. That's that's easy. He's going to sell you a property. And he's going to, and he's going to pick something up. But how do you know if that's a good uh, investment? And that's a, uh, that's kind of the challenge. Um, so I'm, I'm interested, Chris. If, if somebody comes to you and they're they're they're, hard, they're dead set on they're set on buying a property, how, what's what's the what, where do you sort of you, you you cash flow model? You do all those sort of things. How do you how do you sort of how do you get them ready to a stage where, or do you have to be comfortable? Do you personally have to be comfortable? Like, what what is your, um, what's your view on, um, yeah, when somebody wants to buy a property? Like, do you find out their why and then sort of model it and, and do a statement of advice, I suppose you'd have to? Is that the kind of? Well, we, we do a statement of advice, and the way that we actually have a look at it is we say, all right, well, what are you looking for? What is it that you're actually wanting out of the property? That sort of a thing, because, you know, the way that you model it, it's going to be totally different if it's an investment versus a, a, an owner-occupied. Um, but the way that we the way that we structure those conversations is, you know, we don't ever give specific property advice, right? So I'm not a real estate agent. I'm not a buyer's agent. I handle a lot of the other stuff where we go, uh, you know, yeah, the mortgage broker said uh, they've come to me. We've sorted out the cash flow. We know they've got a lot of savings. We uh, we've got all that sort of structured and, and correct. The the broker has said that you can lend up to eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Uh, and we start to have a look at that stage. We go, all right, well, we've got the borrowing capacity at 850. Um, yep. You know, who should be actually be holding this asset? How should it actually be looking to, to try and save some money on tax mm -hmm. and, and try and reduce the risk later? Uh, and then we start modelling the decisions and we start saying, well, this is what would happen if you actually borrowed 850,000. And then we can start having a bit of a tester and a play with that and say, well, what happens if we get zero growth on this for the next five years? Or what happens if we get zero growth on this for the next 15 years? And we go and we can start to have a look at that. We start to have a look at, well, on 850,000, what if we don't have a, a vacancy rate of, of 1% or 2%, we have a vacancy rate of 5 or 6%, right? And we start to have a look at that and we go, all right, well, is $850,000 at, at a vacancy rate of 5% going to absolutely destroy you on the other end and completely ruin your social life, your lifestyle and all that sort of stuff? So. Should we be dialing back that uh, that debt amount? Should we be looking for properties with six hundred and fifty thousand, or should we be looking at saving a little bit more money and have a little bit more capital? So that's where we step in and we start to actually model those decisions, and we can weaponize those property those those decisions. So we can start, we can give people all of the information around. Well, this is what happens if this is what happens if this is what happens if you know, and that way someone can say, well. Based on all of these things, I'm reasonably comfortable now that we've understood and modelled a lot of the risk that, you know, I'd like to, you know, potentially proceed with finding something around the 750 mark, um, you know, we're going for, for growth and blah, 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 blah. We understand that we need to hold it for X amount of years, that we shouldn't necessarily be buying and selling too much because of 
uh, extra costs and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, just talking about even from the point of view of, of potential maintenance costs and that sort of thing and allow people to really understand those decisions so that way they can start to, you know, when they are speaking to the real estate agent, they can start to think about, well, you know, this is a much older property, I might have to spend more on this place or, you know, is this going to be a flip scenario, that sort of thing. So um, that's where we sort of step in and start to go with it and we won't necessarily say this is a, a bad idea to buy one, two, three, you know, Turf Street in, in Paran or whatever it might be. We say, well, look, this is the property, this is what happens if all of these things work out and stack up, uh, this is what happens if they don't. Can you live with this, with, with this worst-case scenario? Um, you know, this is the worst case, this is the best case, this is what's probably going to happen and you know, move on with that from there and allow them to, to really know the data and the numbers around making that decision. What are your, um, your go-to what-if scenarios? Because for me, I ran a couple of what-if scenarios, but there were so many, just like I was like, yeah, what if this, what if that, what if blah, 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 it kills me. But I feel like you take it in a very structured uh, approach. What are like your go-to what-ifs? Yeah, what if you lose your job is the number one. What if you lose your ability to earn income is the number one. And, you know, I'm not trying to sell income protection or anything like that. And I've got a bit of, you know, we can chat a little bit about that in a minute. But, you know, what happens if you lose your, your main source of income for one month, two months, five months, six months? So that's the first thing that we look at. What if you, uh, for whatever reason, can't rent it out? You know, it might, might flood, it might burn down, whatever it is. Um, you know, what happens if you can't rent it out for the next six months, 12 months? Um, what happens if you get no growth over the next three, five, 10 years? What happens if you get negative growth over that same period of time? And what happens if you get positive growth over that same period of time? So we have a look at that and then we have a look at the income and make sure that, you know, if these things happen, will that stack up? So they're, 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 my, they're my main go-tos and those sorts of things sort of start to ignite some conversations around those sorts of areas, around, well, you know, actually, Chris, what happens if this or this happens? And we can start modelling that in real time as well. Yeah. 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 What's the likelihood of this happening? What's the likelihood of that happening? Well, let's, um, you, you, you touched yeah. on the point. Let's, let's dig into it now. The, uh, how, how, do you, how do you actually, you have this thing you spoke about before about protecting your income with, with or through property. How, what, what do you, tell us more about that because, yeah, you hit on, you're not about selling well, well, obviously, I, I, look at, I look at protecting income in, in two different ways. You can either uh, have enough income coming in from, from other means such as investments or until you have that point, you can um, offset that and offload it off to an insurer and pay a premium for it. Right, so you've got those options to whether or not you, um, how you can actually protect your income. So I'm a big believer around, you know, buying assets that pay you really good income returns and getting it to a point where, um, uh, where that income is actually able to replace your day job. And you know, I, I know that you guys know. I, I heard your your amazing rendition, Jeff. Um, you know, uh, what was it? Um, the big red car and, and ride the big red car to uh, big red car of growth. Was that what was that what it was? Yeah, it's good uh, we had, uh, the other day. Our mate Chris Gray on last week. Who he, he he buys uh, million dollar places that uh, the cash flow may not be the uh, greatest on. So that's what I, I tailor it to the guest. 
<laughs> yeah, and so, but but I love it, and and this is what I think that a lot of people think of when they think of property. They think of these amazing assets that are going to grow, and they're going to be able to be really really wealthy and uh, and create an incredible asset. Which for a lot of lot of the market, that is exactly what can happen. But um, I've I've got a a personal investment philosophy, which is cash is king, and you know if you can have the income coming in, that's an extraordinarily important part of. Um, of of your overall wealth and wealth journey, so you know finding properties that are highly um, uh, high yielding and those sorts of things, it can be an incredible move. And and the reason why I think that is is the case is because you know you can leverage on property, and if you're getting a five percent return on on a three hundred thousand dollar investment, you know, that's an incredible return. It's an, in, an incredible yield uh, that you otherwise might not be able to get by purchasing a listed asset with, you know, twenty uh, percent uh, uh, of that money. So um, being yeah. able to replace and is that five percent or gross that you're talking about there. Uh, it'd be gross. Yeah, it'd be gross. Yeah. So if you can find those sorts of things, if you can have a look for those sorts of properties, I think that is an incredibly important component within an overall property portfolio uh, where you can have some of that cash flow coming in um, to the point where you know, you, you're positively geared or you, um, you're able to do a principal and interest sort of payment and very quickly you can find that you, uh, you're able to build up enough equity to purchase another and another and another property utilising that income. So um, mm. I think that property is one of the quickest ways to be able to replace income um, and, and create a passive income uh, and protecting your income through, through that wealth strategy. Uh, and while shares and business and that sort of thing can pay incredible dividends, uh, you just don't get the same power that you get with the leverage of of, uh, of property investments. Yeah, well, you've struck a chord here. Someone in the comments has said, capital growth makes you wealthy, cash flow makes you rich. <laughs> that's, that's, that's Hayden. Mr. Hayden, he's, he's, he's loving it. He said, strange to see a financial advisor who likes property. He's interested. So... Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you like the bid. Um, so, so Bruce, I think that's uh, I think that you mentioned there is about the the yield, and the thing that sort of uh, I, I start thinking about is um, with with principal and interest repayments, interest rates at some stage are likely to go up. I'm not going to say when they'll go up. Probably yeah, uh, eventually. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ben um, Steve is the same. I think he's still the RBA governor. Philip Lowe, sorry, um, he's saying not till 2024. So, I mean. Who knows? He, he, I don't think he really knows, but um, maybe he does. But uh, yeah. So my question is: Do you, do you model on interest rates like rate, rate rising? What what do you model at? Yeah. Um, so I usually model between three and a half and five percent, um, and that's this is another this is another one of those levers that we have a look at around one of the gears that we can turn to to really figure out what would happen if this these sorts of things happen, and um, you know. Philip Lowe sitting there saying, you know, they're not going to go up till 2023, 2024. Um, you know, you scratch your head and, and you know, four years ago, do we really think, do we really think that we get to 0.1%? And I don't think anyone would have gone, yeah, we'll be at 0.1% interest rates in four years' time, right? So yeah. uh, I think we're in, a, we're in a lower interest rate for longer sort of a, um, sort of a scenario. And I don't think that we're going to necessarily see a huge spike in interest rates. Um, but it is definitely something that we factor in, and you know we look at um, uh, we look at either the interest rate that we've been quoted by the by the broker, or we have a look at um, modelling a couple of different things around you know one percent higher or lower from that interest rate. So 
Um, you know, to give you a bit of an example, a low-dock loan at 85%, you know, you might be looking at an interest rate of you know, 4.5%, um, whereas at you know, 80% or sorry, at 75% or 70%, you're probably looking at close to 2 2.5%. So, you know, the, the interest rates that you can get very, very wildly depending on um, the sort of loans that you are looking at and, uh, and how tight it is as well. So um, we, we often work, uh, we, have, we have a chat about these sorts of propping modelling um, after, uh, usually after they've actually got a borrowing capacity and we work out what the, what the capabilities are. So we often work off that, um, that, uh, that interest rate and sort of get a little bit under and a little bit over. So one of the one of the challenge I don't I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this you um, Chris or or maybe Jeff but one of the ch- things that I kind of struggle seeing is the next property so I'm always I came in into property thinking okay I don't want to buy for right now and what this property is I'm buying this property based on what my next purchase will be and what my next purchase will be and what will allow me to get to that third fourth fifth sixth property. Um, but I found it very tough to be able to get an answer out of um, out of brokers about, hey, look, you're going to buy a three hundred fifty thousand dollar property, and in six months' time or twelve months' time, you're going to refinance it. It's going to be at seven, blah blah blah. You then buy four hundred fifty, and then that's going to leave you enough leverage to be able to get another property. Um, and mm. you never know really where that wall is at, and obviously not factoring in the future. But how do you? Is that something that you guys look after and? Uh, model out multiple properties or do you just focus on the here and now getting it done and then also like the the, the positive that it's going to have in the future but can yeah you we we look at we look at what you've got and what it is that you're looking to purchase and i think i think the reason why you, you're really struggling to get a definite answer from people is because there's you know there's there's no crystal ball around what's going to happen and and your ability to actually get into the next one is usually hugely dependent on on how the the last one's gone or um or what the actual um what the rest of the wealth store is happening you know, whether or not you um your partner's on maternity leave and all that sort of stuff so you know i think i think that you know you're probably speaking to the right people if they're not really giving you a solid answer on this sort of stuff because anyone that says well you know in year one you're going to do this and then year two you're going to do that and that and then that and that you start to go well you know, can I borrow your crystal ball for a minute? Because I actually, I don't want to look about, pro- I don't want to look for properties. I want to look at what the, what the fucking numbers are. On, excuse my French, sorry guys. I want to look at what the numbers are on, on, on Tats Low because you know that's going to be, it's going to yield you a heap better of a um, sort of a sort of a sort of a profit. But, um, yeah. So I think that um, this, there's the only thing that you can guarantee with with any investment, or whether or not it's a listed asset, a stock, or a share, or whatever it might be, or um, you know, or, or uh, directly held property. The only thing you know, with, with without a doubt, is that it's going to change in value. Uh, everything else is is taking a risk, and everything else is a bit of guesswork. And and um, you know, you can mitigate and, and try and you know jump those hurdles as they come. But uh, yeah, I don't think anyone who tells you exactly what the next next one or the next one or the next one is is going to be able to actually um, uh, hit that nail on the head. What I think that you can do is you can say when it gets to this point or if it gets to this point, you know, you can then do this or that or that or that. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, you can talk about hypotheticals, but you can't really um, model out too much around, you know, this is the next step and in a year we're going to do this and in a year we're going to do that and so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. Can, can you talk to that at, at all, Jeff, as well? 
I, I mean, so from from a broking, from a mortgage broking perspective, which which I was a broker in a past life, the, the really good investment savvy mortgage broker is, is going to be able to say, okay, your borrowing capacity is seven hundred or eight hundred thousand, and 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 kind of talk you through. Well, with that, you can do you can do X, or you, and you can if you if you go and buy a property that is a yield of roughly five percent, or even sort of three percent, they can they can crunch those numbers and say. For the next one, that means you can only that affects your borrowing by X amount. So then you can say, okay, I've, and and then you can tell you exactly or fairly closely how much deposit you're going to need. And for most investment properties, you're looking at a. And this is not. Uh, I mean, everybody's circumstance is different, but yeah, you you, you, you sort of look at you need around the twelve percent. Um, I mean, inclusive LMI um, plus your stamp duty. So you can sort of you can put some numbers together back in the napkin and say, okay. Even if it even if it has no growth, even if property one has no growth or property four or what it is, here's here's your borrowing capacity now. This is and, and then put a massive caveat empty over that and say this is this is going to ch- this is likely going to change based on. Um, I mean, lenders should, lenders change their borrowing their serviceability requirements probably I wouldn't say daily, but oftentimes weekly or monthly. So yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. you can sort of put a, put a bit of a bit of a bit of a plan together. You can buy X amount of properties. Yeah, uh, and then, great. And it's really up to yeah what the what what the what the loan market does as well. So it's just asking the question of the broker, being like, "Hey, look, I know everything's going to change, but just give me a bit of an understanding. Should I be like, if I was to buy X at six hundred thousand in yep. the exact same situation, what would it look yep. like buying? What would my next purchase be? No, you, and by the looks of things, based on today, you wouldn't be able to buy again." So maybe don't buy a six hundred thousand dollar property. Buy a four hundred thousand dollars because based on, you know, maybe you can't promise anything, but you'd be better suited, and then you'd be able to leverage to eight hundred thousand rather than just being stuck at six hundred thousand. So this is why you would need an investment savvy mortgage broker and a good quality financial planner to be able to break this stuff down for you, so you can get they can actually ask you these questions and you can push back and be like, okay, well, how would this affect my situation? Yeah. Yeah, totally agree, Joe. And I think I think the you know you don't just need those two good good people in your corner. You actually need them to be talking to each other. Same as with the accountant as well. So if you um, if you're using professionals, you you want them actually you know, working working your behalf and, and speaking speaking to each other and making sure that they're on the same page and have all their arrows pointing in the same direction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And an interesting, uh, I'll, I'll slightly change topics because I, I think it was very interesting when we spoke about it. Is uh, is your core and satellite approach? Like, tell us more about that because I, I want to hear. Uh, you, you, yeah, give us the, give us the yeah. Go so there's there's a couple of components to our core and satellite uh, approach to investing, and one of them is around having a core part of the investments being a property, um, and from there actually having and diversifying through other investments. So. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of advisor that thinks property is an extraordinarily um, creative way and an incredible way to grow wealth and can grow wealth really, really quickly. Um, but also, I'm a big believer in making sure that you spread the risk around. So even when we're looking at property and, and you know, um, I'm looking at it from a personal point of view, you want to have a look at it and go, well, do I have five properties in the inner east of Melbourne? Um, you know, where should my property be? You know, the answer probably shouldn't be East Melbourne. Uh, you should probably be having a look at other areas and those sorts of things. But 
the way that we structure is, especially for first time first time investors, we we look at it from a point of view of having, all right, well, what can you afford? Can you give you a property now? If not, maybe start having a look at some other listed assets so that you've got your money invested for the time being, uh, and build up enough of a, um, uh, a an asset base that you can actually start to, to leverage off that and get into a property. And then once you've got that property, start utilising some listed assets such as uh, direct equities. Uh, potentially managed funds, exchange traded funds and those sorts of things as little offshoots from that, investing in different parts of the world, investing in different types of things. And that way you start to get a really well-rounded investment and then you can start to really look at leveraging again off the uh, off the asset base of the property and a lot of surplus funds start to actually go into um, other listed assets that are really cheap to purchase uh, and really cheap to hold as well. So you can then start to really creatively build up a, a good base for, of assets without having all of, your, all of your money sitting into one particular place, one asset class in one area and that sort of thing. So um, that's, the, that's the, uh, the, the, the short answer version, uh, but we, we obviously go into much greater detail with, um, with our clients around how that can work and also, um, you know, uh, how it can work from a, from a couple of different perspectives around different types of, uh, types of investments and, and the sort of stuff that they're wanting to get into. So what are, what are some of the, I know this is a property uh, thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if we call this a Facebook, a Facebook group, a live or a podcast. I always get like, you. Um, but um, what are some of the asset, other asset classes that you really like? Because property, I mean, is not a typical financial planner's uh, asset of choice. So what are other assets that you, you're really into? Um, really into, uh, even if we're talking about, if we keep talking about property, um, lists of property, infrastructure projects, commercial projects, and those sorts of things. Getting into getting into other types of property that you otherwise don't really think that you can get into. When you're walking down the street and you go, "How the hell did that building get built?" And it's that's often big listed types of um, uh, types of property. It's uh, it's the sort of stuff that you know you can invest in within your superannuation funds and those sorts of things around um, getting access to that sort of stuff. So. That's one of the asset classes. Um, the other types of asset classes, I'm, I, I love a good alternative. I love um, you know investing in, in uh, a little bit of gold, or either like an, um, gold exchange and that sort of stuff. Um, and I love uh, international equities. I think international equities are, are a massive driver of, of wealth, um, especially when you when you're having a look at the Asia developing market, um, the Asia developed market, and the North American market. You've got some some huge opportunities there, especially around the tech space and um, and what that's actually going to happen over over the course of the next five or ten years, and, and how I think the sort of global economy is going to shift more towards Asia, uh, and and sort of a little bit um, further away from from North America. So they're the other things that we that we really like to look at from a from a growth asset point of view. And then you've got your standard sort of bond market sort of stuff, and um, and cash investments and, and those sorts of things. So it's. It's really horses for courses with that sort of stuff. And the, the sort of stuff that we go through with clients, we identify what is it you're wanting to do, um, you know, what's the highest priority, what's the sort of stuff that you hate, and we really build a, uh, a, sort of, a bit of a package around that and, and start to put together a bit of a, um, uh, a, an asset base that is lower risk uh, that um, they can start to really invest in and, and go hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um- so you you deal with a lot of uh, 
diverse range of, of clients, a lot of um, high net worth individuals, a lot of um, a lot of medium net worth, a lot of people. What are the some of the things? Because I, I'm really interested in the mindset side of stuff as well. And you, you, mm-hmm. we had a bit of a chat about the mindset side of things, so we'll touch on that soon as well. But um, my question is, what are some of the things that you're seeing high net worth individuals doing that other people don't do? Um, well, I think it's, I think it's actually, I think here in Australia, we have this incredible, incredible, uh, we're in this incredible part of the world where you don't need to be a high net worth person. You don't need to be worth five, five plus million dollars to be doing something, um, really, really well. And, um, if I, if I might paraphrase the question, Joe, I think one of the things that I see of financially successful people, the absolute common denominator is their ability to save money and know where their money's going every single time they get paid and whether or not that's getting paid from an investment asset uh, as, as a lot of high net worth individuals do um, or getting paid by their uh, their business income that they're you know, owning and operating or if it's just going to work and that sort of stuff. If you've got the ability to um, you know, save 100 bucks a week or save 200 bucks a week and invest that money, um, you've got the ability to become a millionaire. It just takes time, generally speaking. It's just a case of actually... You know, over a period of time to, to get there. So the, the number one thing that I see people do um, that creates real long-term success and that I've seen for years and years is, is the ability to actually save money every time they get paid and, and know where it's actually going. The richest yeah, that's the, yeah, exactly. Mm. I was just about to say that's my favourite thing, right, is always pay yourself first. Always pay yourself mm. first. Don't go and pay the iPod people and the fancy shirt people First, every time you get paid, the first automated paycheck that should come out should be to you, to your savings account, to your, I have mine called the property fund. And it automatically just goes straight to there. It's a set amount every single month. And then the rest of the money, I can do whatever the heck I want with it because I've been a good boy and put my money aside. And I will then work out however to get it. And if I run out of money, well, then it means I need to do something to make more money. <laughs> so totally agree. Totally, totally focus, agree. focus too much on the uh, um, the saving part. Don't even just automate it. Don't even don't even touch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. I love the um, the idea of automation because um, the, the the thing that I speak about. To, I was actually speaking to a client about it today. Um, where so many people do this backyard accounting where they go, well, I'm going to move money to, from this account to this account to this account and then, you know, I've actually got to pay this person. I'm going to pinch it back out of this account. So well, you've got to simplify the banking, automate it, take away the human error and, um, you know, stop playing the stop playing the role of the account in your, in your life and set it up once and, and don't muck it up. <laughs> it's so true because there is uh there is books out there that are like yeah set up 100 buckets have three different credit cards and debit cards and three different accounts and make sure that you don't do this sweep this i'm like i can't keep up with this i'm i haven't yeah. got time i haven't got time for this crap what am i doing i've got i've got offset and i've got savings and i've got another offset <laughs> you should, should get scotty tape on and uh i'm sure he'd love talking about property mate <laughs> Scotty Pape, Scotty Pape, you know, he gets a bad rap in, in, in my profession. You know, everyone talks about the, uh, the, um, the, shoeless, the shoeless investor. Uh, but yeah. 
Yeah, no, I know they call them the shoeless <laughs> investor. A lot of advisors, you know, that, that certain shoeless investor that they that they sort of refer to. But um, I think he's done an incredible job of of helping people, you know, for like fifteen or twenty bucks. I don't know what the, the cost of his book is, but yeah, you know, for fifteen or twenty bucks, he's able to help empower people to actually start saving money. So. I personally, yeah. I've got a lot of time for Scotty Pay. He's doing hundred percent, hundred percent. I read his, I read his first book that he put out, which was on share investing, um, and I was hooked. I was hooked from there. I've been on his newsletter since day, since day three, I think, and um, love, love it every single time. Like uh, talking, going back to the beginning when I was talking about baby steps, baby step one, Scott Pape's book. Um, yeah. That when you've actually, I just did a post about this. Once you've hit that um, baby step thing, and don't rely on Scott Pape for lessons on investing, right? That's not his game. His game is to get you financially to a mental position where you're able to then get all your buckets, but don't focus on the holes in the bucket for too long. Plug the holes, move on, and start looking at the tap where all the funds are coming into the bucket and how you can optimize that. Um, now I'm just recycling content. <laughs> but no, it's so good. It's but it's true. so true and and it's and it can be said again and again and again because people just just muck it up time and time again they just don't get that at that foundation right once you've got the foundation right you can start to to look at the you know what's up and, and around you after that yeah and what are some of the other mistakes that you see um some of your less sophisticated people going through themselves and keep seeing them trip and trip and like here it is here's the answer and then trip oh okay we're back here again yeah, um, that's a that's a really good question. One of them is um, when they don't actually go and follow through on what it is that they say they're going to do. Just constantly, it's a yeah, yeah, all right. That sounds like a good idea, and you know, they might be listening to this podcast, and I'll see you guys come on, and they'll they'll be like, yeah, and they'll they'll pipe, hype themselves up, you know, be eight thirty, and then they'll go and they'll have a beer, and they'll go to bed, and they'll wake up next morning, and they'll go. No, I'm just not going to do that. And you know, the, the thing that I find that people do constantly is they just don't follow through. And so, you know, half of my job is is uh, calling people and busting balls and saying, "Hey, have you done what you said you were going to do? Have you gone and done blah blah blah?" And so, you know, you keep people accountable. Um, that's one thing. Uh, another thing is when people. Um, People have, and I saw that you, I think the post that you were referring to, people have a mindset of they'll, they'll save money rather than make money. And, you know, they'll, you know, I'll, you know, they won't go to the account and they'll lodge their tax through, uh, they'll lodge their tax personally because they don't want to, you know, pay 170 bucks for an accountant, which is tax deductible, go figure, uh, to, to look at everything and make sure they're getting the right deduction. So, you know, I think, I think part of that is, is something that I see people do all the time where, and they've got the the mindset of you know I've just got to look around here and just save everything that I've got, and I don't want to take any risk. I don't want to pay someone else to do it. Who'll be able to tell me something that I don't know or help me out with with something that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to do? So, yeah, that's that's they're probably two massive ones that I see time again. Yeah, penny wise, pound foolish. That's um, it. That's what uh, that's what Hayden's mentioned in the comments. Um, so speaking, I'm, I'm going to speak about saving money though. And, and it's it's going to be a little bit of a pivot. We 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 did we did say we we're going to talk about capital gains. Um, you don't need to give us. I mean, people have heard a lot about capital gains tax and how to save it. Give us a quick thirty to a minute spiel. What's the best way, or what are some of the ways that people can do that? Um, one of the things that people don't think of often when they're looking at capital gains tax is contributing money to your super, contributing money to your spouse's super, and that sort of stuff. So 
if your number one tip around reducing capital gains is have a look at bolstering some of your superannuation, that sort of thing, to, to sort of um, mitigate some of that and, and save yourself some dollars. So that's probably the, the 30 second or the, the 10 second uh, so synopsis you, of it. You can put money in your wife's super. I didn't know depends um, on your spouse's suit. It depends on how much they're earning and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and obviously. and so um, yeah, there's yeah, it's it's some really good um, tax efficiencies by being able to do that. Uh, and you need to have a look at what the capabilities are because you might have a situation where your partner is um, might be stay at home partner, and you know uh, you guys have, have purchased a house in in, in both your names. So your investment in both your names. You've now sold it. You've made a capital gain. Uh, it's bumped your income up to you know, $185,000 and it's, you know, bumped, uh, bumped the, the partners up to, you know, $55,000, whatever it might be. And you need to be able to have a look at and go, well, can I actually get a spousal contribution? Can I do X, Y, and Z? And, um, is there a way that we can actually put some money into each of our supers and max out those um, those contributions and even having a look at using top-up contributions? So a lot of people, when they're planning their... Um, their superannuation contribution, especially after a CGT event, they often have a look and they go, well, you know, we're covering off the 25,000, which is about to move to 27 and a half. But the government three or four years ago put something in place where you can actually top up from up to five years uh, beforehand. So you need to actually look back and, and see whether or not you can actually top those up and, and utilise, you know, your previous superannuation contributions uh, as a way of mitigating some of those capital gains tax um sort of sort of scenarios yeah yeah um okay cool 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 i don't know is that is that is that an answer that you've had you've had before well you've never had anyone on we've never had on talking about capital gains tax (laughs) (laughs) okay okay cool so it's all new to us yeah sure we've heard that's that's just one way there's um yeah there's there's a couple of really good creative ways to be able to do it um, and super is often seen as a bit of the enemy of, of the young, um, but it can it can save you huge amounts of money in tax if you if you if you work it properly. Yeah, and yeah. if you get enough money into your super, you can sort of make the case to purchase a property in there if you uh, if you're so inclined. Yeah, another one I I find interesting is um, I'm going to forget the name of it, but um, putting your part putting your name on the property 50 50 like doing a 50 50 split um go and speak to your lawyer <laughs> go and speak to your lawyer but um i see a lot of people like oh well yeah i want to have it 50 50 like, well, is that the best is that the best way why is your name on the title at all why do you want to be on mm. there um yes you know you're yeah. married and that kind of stuff um but like it's not going to be the best it doesn't look like it's going to be the best situation for you so just don't get ego don't have an ego about it um and put it put it in the the wife's full name and she takes 100 percent of it because you know long term that that is going to be the best way going forward and if you're in a risky business man you don't want that getting sweeped from under you i do dude it's um it's a massive part of what i do so i um i i my favorite type of client that I help are business owners. And one of the things that we talk about is not just around building up an asset outside of your, your business, uh, but also around making sure that you're protecting that asset and the right people are actually owning that asset. And you know, some people get funny about, well, you know, I want to have 50% just in case we break up or whatever it is. Some will, you, know, you can have a trust account and that sort of thing. And, and the look through uh, provisions and the family law acts and that sort of stuff, they see past all of that. So, you know, okay. 
you're yeah. exactly right. Drop the ego and, and put it in, the money in the right hands. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, because there's the thing, that's what the tenants in common and uh, there's another one where you can split the ownership. Joint night, like, yeah. Joint, joint tenants. Um, Jeff, you go. I was going to say something there, but I dropped it. That's all right. I I was, uh, yeah. I'm interested to know because we're, we're sort of getting to around the hour. I, I want to, uh, I want to sort of throw some, I want to throw some quicker sort of questions out. You've answered some of these already. Uh, and Joe, jump yeah. in if you, do you remember? So what, what is, um, what is one? I think you probably have touched this a little bit, but I, I want you to re reinforce this point home. What is one piece of wisdom I suppose you'd pass on about property or slash investing? Uh, one piece of wisdom um, that I'd pass on is just get stuck in, do something, whether or not you can you can buy a property now or you have to start with investing into some shares because you can't afford property right at the moment. Just do something because um, one of my favourite things to say is the best time I planted trees 20 years ago, uh, the next yeah. best time is today. So, you know, you the time is your friend with these things and if i can shake every 25 year old and say just start bloody investing because if you do it now you can take less risk um you know even though you you can probably afford to take more risk but you can take less risk because by the time you get to 50 you'll be a multi-millionaire if you start now and you contribute to it regularly and you do that sort of thing whereas if you start when you're 45 and you're umming and ahhing and you're on the fence and you, know, you wait till you're 46. It's just the time period just gets shorter and shorter and shorter. So just get off the fence and get it done. Do something. There you go. Oh, my question. I'm gonna while we're doing rapid fire questions is I remember what it is now. You were talking about businesses, business owners building asset base outside of their business. But yeah. if their business, if they have ten thousand dollars and they put that ten thousand dollars into marketing, that could get a far better return than it could in a property. So why build an asset base out of a property outside of their, their their company? Really, really good question. Because what happens if you can't work in the business anymore? What if that ten thousand dollars doesn't actually um, equate to anything? Um, you know, what if that ten thousand dollars just means you have to put on extra staff and and you have extra costs and that sort of stuff to service that extra marketing? So this is the this is often a thing that business owners can fall into the trap of. of you know, sure, you've got to reinvest into your business and make sure that you um, that your business is going to grow and that you can actually get and, and make like uh, really good profits and those sorts of things. But when you get to the end, when you get sick of it and you've got the burnout or you go, you know what, it's time to move on, you know, you might be looking to retire, you don't have to be subject to the value of the business. Um, classic example yeah. is um, financial advisors in the last four years have been putting so much money into their businesses and purchasing other businesses and that sort of stuff. And, you know, they were getting three times, um, three times their, of their um, revenue for their business prices. And that's dropped down to two or one and a half or one. And so if you're, if you're a 60 year old or 65 year old, you know, financial advisor and you're looking to sell your asset and all of a sudden you have a third of the asset that you once had and you're looking around and going, well, how am I actually going to fund my retirement? You sort of shut, you know, you, you stack up the creek. Right. So, if you can take those profits and go, right, well, I'm going to buy a property, I'm going to buy some, some shares, I'm going to buy some other assets, they're going to be able to pay you um, uh, a passive income, go right ahead and do that because, you know, that's, that ultimately is where you know, you're going to find really long-lasting wealth uh, where businesses you know, tend to uh, go up and down and, and you're not subject and not 
held to to that final valuation when you do decide to get out of it. And you, know, yeah. you might have to get out of it really, really quickly. You might have a death in the family. You might have serious sickness and that sort of stuff. Mm. And you right. have to you know, flog it off for half of, half its worth. Yeah. What what blows my mind is the valuation of a business. The valuation of a business is generally like two to five times discretionary earnings. So income that the company has made. Like that just when I heard that. So if you make a hundred thousand dollars, it's only valued at three hundred thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars. Is that right? Well, well, that's that's you know that's a that's probably a rudimentary way of looking at this because there's so many different things that go into it, um, and different businesses are, are valued differently. You know, yeah, um, businesses you know, in the professional services are, um, are are valued anywhere between you know uh, two or three times uh, the ongoing revenue to cents in the dollar. So it's it really depends on the kind of business that you're in. Um, yeah. you know, retail is going to be totally different to hospitality and that sort of stuff, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, there's a there's a few the few moving parts within it, and this is what I mean where there's you know there's too much guesswork around what that potential sale uh, is going to be. Um, yeah. You know, imagine being a hospitality owner of a, of a thriving cafe or a bar or a nightclub that's trying to flog it off when you're living in Victoria at the moment. You know, yeah. Good luck. Your business is, has probably dropped by you know a third of, of its value. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. absolutely wild, and also that um um. Profit. Like growing that asset base alongside, it makes just so much, it just makes so much sense because the valuations can be so low. And also, have you systematized your business so well that someone else is willing to take those keys from you and go turn it, to turn it on? Probably not. You're probably a really good pool inspector and you're really great at that and not necessarily systematizing. So build your asset base. There you go. You've converted me, mate. You've done, you've done it. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. Personal asset, uh, business profit into personal assets is the yeah key one. Sorry, Jeff, you go, mate. You got your rapid fire. Sorry, I did. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think we've kind of already covered a lot of this stuff. So, uh, I mean, what what was a light bulb moment for you in in, in your investing journey? Like, I want to hear more about the the Chris story. What's what's your kind of yeah? What, what's a light bulb for you? Uh, light bulb for me was um, a few years ago after after I sold a practice that I helped um, that, I, that I built up with, with my old man, um, where we had uh, take over the world sort of plans, and uh, we ended up selling our, our business to a much larger firm. And, and light bulb moment for me was realizing that making as much money as possible and those sorts of things wasn't really what I'm after, and uh, which is why we have the little vineyard in northwest Victoria at the moment. Uh, because the idea of wealth, and this is the sort of thing I, I sort of touched on earlier, is the idea of figuring out what it actually means to you is where you can start to put into some some real practices around making those things happen. So for me, it was around you know being able to spend more time with my family, being able to have kids and, and not do what my mum and dad did and, and work you know, both of them 10, 12, 13 hours a day and never see it. So I wanted to be able to be around when my kids are babies and that sort of stuff. So little bit more of a rural life and taking it slower and being able to produce some incredible wine is is a massive turner of, of of wealth for me and so my key moment was after growing up in a financial planning household my entire life after you know being in a financial planning business growing a financial planning business figuring out that wealth wasn't just about dollars in the bank and uh, figuring what that actually meant to me 
Uh, not to say that that isn't what it is to some people and all kudos to you if that's your gig. Uh, but actually, that was my light bulb moment was working out that, uh, you know, the life that I wanted to build was was a little bit further away from the corporate side of things and building up a gigantic business and, and all that sort of stuff. So massive light bulb for me. Super powerful. Yeah, it's a, it's a big it's a big why for me as well. Yeah, that's sensational. Yeah, I mean, this is a cool thing. Um, can you tell us more about this vineyard because like we're starting to talk about yields here but now we're starting to mix up the 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 meaning of yield mate, <laughs> mate go and go and become a farmer i tell you what it's uh it's a it's an interesting life we're, we're a little primary producer we have about five and a half acres of vines in, in the northwest victoria uh and we are about to get our labels on, on a couple of vintages and uh and start selling them but um i go from i go from chair to tractor mate so i'm uh, I moved. I moved uh, two V double loads of of pig poo over the last um, over the last couple of weeks, and uh, put about six and a half ton of gypsum and six and a half ton of lime on the vines. And uh, you know we're 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 now trying to organise about seven hundred small pots because we're about to do a whole bunch of cuttings, which we're going to replant. And mate, it's a uh, it's a whole ordeal. And, and we lost our entire crop earlier on uh, in the year. And uh, so you know the joys of farming is is kind of amazing but it's uh, also a bit heartbreaking and, and mm. at the same time so um great life yeah. it's a great little life nice and um nice and relaxed i do have a vineyard question um we're we're at the hunter valley the other over the weekend and um one of the questions was how do you actually pick the grapes do people just grab the grapes like and just take a whole bunch off or do you have machines do it how do you pick grapes <laughs> Um, we here, we pick the grapes. We have like a little, like kind of scissors and we just run along with buckets and, you know, there'd be between 15 and 20 of us and we just go, clop, 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 clop. Um, bigger vineyards, uh, bigger vineyards get a, um, get a machine in that's, um, that, that pulls them all out and that sort of thing. So, uh, we're not big enough to do that. And we also don't have the, the right infrastructure to be able to do that. And you've got to have, um, the right sort of, um, uh, the poles in the middle and that sort of a thing and, and the right, right wiring and the right height of the vines and they have to be relatively yeah, uniform yeah. and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, yeah. A combination of the two, mate. Yeah. So we, we, we bust our hump with, um, you know, with little scissors. <laughs> it's the way to do it mate that's what that's what adds to the wine right um just cautious of time here i know we, we we said an hour and we got an hour and ten so i apologize for that is there anything that we haven't asked that you wish we were like oh why didn't you guys go deeper on this subject oh mate it's just it's, there's so many there's so many components like you give me a soapbox and i'll, I'll and, and you know and enough water and I'll, I'll speak for days and days and days so um look nothing that's that's really jumped out other than uh, you know, go and go and take advantage of some of these free sessions. Go and figure out mm. if you know working with someone and getting some professional help is the right thing. You know, um, you you mentioned Scotty Agate at, at the beginning at Hallett House. Incredible! If you get the opportunity, give him a call because you know you don't know what you don't know, and there's no harm in actually going and trying to figure that out or getting someone else to to help you out with it. So. You know, I don't know how to fix a toilet. I don't know how to, you know, to, if my shower breaks. I don't know what, what's going on. Um, you know, I don't feel bad in calling a plumber to come in and, and give me a hand with it. So if you have any questions, lean on people who, who do it day in, day out, whether or not it's a buyer's advocate, a real estate agent that you trust, uh, your financial planner, your mortgage broker, those sorts of things. Get all the ideas, get all the help that you can and, um, you know, and, and put your plan in place. 
Yeah, one thing I did want to mention in <clears throat> with this type of thing as well is don't be embarrassed. You you are an expert in whatever field that you're in, right? You do really well at that. Just because you don't understand the finance side of things, that's nothing to be ashamed of. And that's why experts exist yeah. to be able to help leverage that for you. So don't go in there with your tail between your legs like, I don't know about this. That That's fine. Get educated as much as you can, but just go there and have a chat with someone. Um, like it don't get too ashamed about it because you don't have to be um, because it's going to otherwise you just stick your head in the ground and it's going to be t a terrible experience it's not going to yield any results so I, I totally agree and i think you know if you're if you're if you're if you're a plumber or if you're a spark and you're working your guts out and you've got a business that you that you, it's doing really really well and and i i think you know to touch on it is you know Join stuff like this. Have a look at these lives, you know, because these you guys are a wealth of knowledge. The sort of stuff that gets thrown around in here. But you know, if you if you don't have the time to do it yourself, don't just put it off and be like, oh, I'll wait until I have the time to educate myself. Pay a bit of a premium. Employ uh, a buyer's agent. You know, employ someone to help you out with it. Make sure that you're actually getting in and getting it done. Because you know, you, every year that you you don't do it is a year that you you're going to miss out. So. Every, don't be embarrassed every about it and just get stuck out. I was going to say every month, like, yeah, we saw the Sydney house prices go up by, by and this is not property, this is house, 3.5% uh, in May. And that was, I think, $41,000 So in the month of May. So, yeah, this is, this is yeah. and that's not to say that uh, Sydney is the best place to buy property, but uh, yeah, what's the um, yeah? There's been a lot of uh, interaction from the audience, and they've they've all loved it. So, um, we'll, we'll, as as we're starting to wrap up, if there's any questions along the way? Throw those in about wealth planning, or even how to how to cut how to cut grapes, or how to how to value a business. Let let us know. We've got we've got all, all we've got all imaginative. Um, yeah. So before we do, I, I really want to thank you for coming on, though, Chris, because you're um. You're a busy guy. You run. You run the farm. You run. You run the get the dog. You've got um. Every you got a lot of things happening. So I appreciate you taking this hour on a Wednesday night. Um. And and you're adding a wealth of value to the industry. Um. And and we wouldn't have had you on. If, I mean. Um, yeah. Particularly financial planners. So thanks for coming on. Um. The other thing oh, I wanted pleasure. to say was yeah. Just um. What's what's the best um. Actually, before I do that. Um. Yeah. Joe's already asked that question. What's um what's 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 the best uh, way for people to reach out to you? Like, what what is the best way for people book that session? That one out. Yeah, if you have, uh, if you have any questions, you can you can add me and follow us at um, facebook.com forward slash wealthyon, uh, which is yep. W E A L T H E O N. Uh, yep. You can flick me an email, which is hello at wealthyon.com.au, uh, yep. or you can jump onto our website www.wealthyon.com.au. Drop a, you can drop the details in the comments box uh, if you remember. I say it's all again. No, very few people take us up on the offer. So. Yeah. Well, pop down your comments. I'm sure, Chris, you'll keep on top of these um, comments in this post. So anything that I know that some people are watching this later on or after or before, um, you pop your comments in and Chris will keep on top of it and answer any questions that you, that you may have. And again, a free consultation is a free consultation. There's no, there's no um, commitment there. Just have a chat with someone that is um, interesting, smart, and knows what they're talking about. And um, hopefully, yeah. there's some value that you can, you can, you can glean from it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and if you don't like that person, don't give up on on the profession. Like if you if someone sits down with me and and doesn't necessarily want me as their advisor, um, you know, 
to go and find someone else, go and find someone that does align a little bit better with you, that you get along a little bit better with or whatever it might be. Um, so shop around, have a look and, and, and find the right sort of, a, sort of a person for you. <laughs> You're pretty easy to get along with, Chris. Cheers, <laughs> mate. Yeah, I try my best. I just love the plane there in the background as well. It's pretty cool. Yeah, my, um, my, my little palm, my, um, my cat just tries to destroy constantly. <laughs> Session with it. Cool, Ideas. cool. Did you have any other final thoughts, Chris, before we wrap this one up? Uh, no, other than you guys are doing some some pretty amazing stuff. Um, really appreciate you you having me on. Um, you know, being able to have a chat to a few cool people like yourself and and the audience that you've got here is really good. The um, uh, even the vibe that you've got within uh, within the group is is fantastic. So I think you guys are cultivating yeah. something really special. And uh, if you have any questions or if you want to want to have me on again, be much more than happy to, to jump on and, and have a chat with you guys again. Legend. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. I know there's a lot of groups where, it, you know, it's not very looked after and you can just get a lot of rubbish, but um, we only go good people and kick out the bad people. So uh, <laughs> appreciate you taking the time. Any final thoughts? Any final words, Jeff? Uh, I'm good. I was going to say, the only you said you can you kick out the bad people, and why am I still here? send it on that awesome okay guys let's go buy a property see you later (laughs) see you later hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together